0: 2 Corinthians 8 this morning, so if you've got a Bible, open it up, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you're going to read the first nine or so verses there. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine, the verses will be on the screens behind me, hopefully if the screens keep working and you can follow along. So 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in, your, in our love for you, see that you excel in this grace of giving also. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of Of others, that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. This morning we sit humbly under it and we Realize, Father, so often we think we read the scriptures, but in all honesty, the scriptures read us, read our own hearts. And so, Father, this morning, would you humble us? Would you please convict us by your spirit of areas in our life that need to change? And would you, Father, please unleash a spirit of generosity amongst your people this morning as we respond to the grace, the good news, the gospel of Jesus? We pray this. In Jesus' name and those who agreed said, Amen. Amen. You know, um, despite our best efforts to try and raise our child um, by teaching him that there's nothing that's really mine, it's ours, Judah has got to this stage where everything in the house seems to be mine. He seems to be amassing a great sum of objects in our house. It seems that Possession is nine-tenths of the law, and so the fact that the TV is on ABC kids 90 percent of the time, he feels that the TV is his. So just yesterday we had this conversation about who owns the TV. And he says, "My TV, daddy, my TV. My TV.' He's sitting in here. I can see him. "My TV, daddy." And I'm saying to him, "No, buddy, it's not your TV. Did you pay for the TV?" He's like, "I did pay for the TV. He's like, "Where did the money come from?" The same money that bought the watermelon. I'm like, where did that money come from? Mummy bought the TV. (laughs) In fact, just the other day, we were driving in the car and I gave him some tiny teddies. He was sitting in the back seat, passed him a a whole packet of tiny teddies. And he was munching around his tiny teddies. I turned around and said, mate, can I have a tiny teddy? He said, my tiny teddies. I thought to myself, I just gave you a whole packet of tiny teddies, like the whole thing. And I've got a whole bag of them at home. I can give you weight and the shop is full of them. I can buy you countless packs of tiny teddies and I just want one single tiny teddy. And he wouldn't share with me. his my tiny teddy. And I thought to myself, gee, isn't it interesting that so often that same childish attitude exists in our hearts when it comes to God and our personal finances. This morning I want to talk about Money. The thing that you're not allowed to talk about in our culture. We'll happily talk about sex, but don't talk about money in our culture. I want to talk about money. But before I do that, I want to say up front to those of you who are here this morning who aren't believers, who don't worship Jesus, then I want you to know this. We don't want your money. Jesus doesn't want your money. What he actually wants is your heart. And so what I want you to do this morning is kind of sit differently to this sermon like you might sit in other sermons And rather than listen to the things that are applied to the heart of the believers, look for the motivation behind that giving. Because I think if you get that, you will get the heart and core of what we're on about. You will get the good news of the gospel of the grace of God in Jesus. You know, as Christians, I think we so often tend to swing between these poles, these opposite poles when it comes to finances and generosity. On one hand, the church teaches the prosperity gospel, that God wants you to be healthy and rich and that all of your wealth is a sign of God's blessing in your life. Then on the other hand, there's the poverty gospel that teaches that money is evil and if you've got money, that somehow you've compromised and you ought to just give it all away and be poor. Or we worship money or demonize money. On one hand, we worship money, we will do anything to get it and then when it's taken away, it absolutely crushes us or we think that money is evil and we say things like money is the root of all kinds of evil, which is not actually true. You're attempting to quote 1 Peter 6 there, but 1 Peter 6 says that the love of money, greed is the root of all kinds of evil. And so Christians have this weird kind of like we just the pendulum swings like crazy, and what we need is for the gospel to bring balance to that. And I hope that that happens this morning as we walk through two Corinthians chapter eight. Paul writes to a church here, the Corinthian church, about this collection that he's taking up for the churches back in Jerusalem. He's using the example of the Macedonian churches, that is the church of Philippi, the church of Thessalonica and others in the region of Macedonia, as an example of what generosity looks like in order to inspire and motivate the Corinthian churches to partake in this collection that he's taking up. And he wants to encourage and inspire them towards generosity. And so as he does that, as he writes and encourages this church, there are a number of principles that come out of this about Generosity and giving. And I want to draw out this morning seven principles of generosity. Seven things about our financial giving from this passage. And here they are, if you take notes and want to write them down. First is that generosity is an act of the grace of God. Secondly, it's sacrificial and generous. Thirdly, it's giving according to one's means. Fourthly, it's free. Fifthly, it's about giving yourself first to the Lord. Sixth, it's something that we ought to excel at. And seventh, the gospel is the ultimate motivation of generosity. So those are the seven things I want to walk through this morning as we look at this chapter. Firstly, generosity is an act of the grace of God. Have a look at verse 1 again with me. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Paul doesn't say there... I want you to know about the bucket loads of cash that the church gave. I want you to know about the thousands of dollars. He doesn't say that. He says, I want you to know about the grace of God that has been given. Paul recognises that when people are generous, it's the grace of God that works in and through them to do that. There is something divine, miraculous behind this kind of generosity that he sees in the Macedonian church. And Paul will continue to use this language of grace when he talks about this offering. In verse 6, he will talk about it as an act of grace. In verse 7, it will be an act of grace. You see, the generosity of this church is an external evidence of an invisible and internal reality of grace that explodes in their hearts and lives and into their actions. Generosity is an overflow of grace. Not an obligation of guilt. It is an overflow of grace and not an obligation of guilt. No one is generous out of guilt, right? You're not generous to the person that twists your arm on the street in Martin Place that wants you to give, you know, we're not going to sign you up for anything just yet. Just put your email and give us your credit card details. and You don't want to be generous to that person who twists your arm into Supporting, you know, animals or whatever they're trying to support. It's grace that motivates generosity. You know, money often has such a tight grip on our hearts that sometimes grace is the only thing that'll take tight-fisted hands and open them up in generosity. That's why we thank God for your generosity. That's why, as Ben presents... The finances, we thank God for your generosity because behind your giving, behind your generosity, yes, you gave the money, it came out of your account and into our accounts, but behind that stands the grace of God that motivates and inspires that generosity. So thank you. And we want to say thank you for those of you who gave last week to support City on a Hill Brisbane. $777, believe it or not, was given towards City on a Hill Brisbane as well as the $250 that was donated during our Sow and Reap campaign, which is just a smidgen over $1,000 that we're able to give to Dave and Rowe as they head off to plant Cedar on a Hill, Brisbane. So we thank God for that because that generosity was inspired by His grace at work in your life. So that's the first principle of generosity is an act of the grace of God. Secondly, giving is both sacrificial and generous. Have a look at verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. There are two absolutely mind-boggling paradoxes in that verse. The first is joy in the midst of affliction, and the second is generosity amidst desperate poverty. That I mean, that's crazy to think about this church's generosity. The problem for this church is not astronomically ridiculous housing prices and worrying about whether China's market's going to crash and how that's going to affect the Australian economy. They're living in third world poverty, this church. Third world poverty. And out of that explodes this grace-motivated, joyful, sacrificial generosity. It's generous. It's sacrificial. They don't give out of their abundance, but out of their poverty. It's costly to them. It's in their need that they gave. Now, to be fair, they're giving to those who are actually in a deeper need than themselves. And that's probably why they're so generous, because they know what it's like. They hear the stories of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. They're like, we've been there. We know what it's like. We want to help these guys. Because they feel a greater sense of compassion for those suffering in poverty than maybe the churches like Corinth who are probably rolling in cash. And So they give out of their need, not out of a position of comfort, security, with a this term deposit sitting there as their security blanket. They give sacrificially. But yet they don't give irresponsibly. Sacrificial giving does not mean irresponsible giving. In fact, Paul elsewhere will say that if you fail to provide for your family, you've, you've denied the faith. If you fail to provide for your family, you've denied the faith. This is not giving to the point of poverty so that you would end up being dependent on someone else. It's not what he's talking about here. In fact, if you go down a few verses, we didn't read this, but in verse 13 of chapter 8, Paul says this, "...for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that, they may be, that there may be fairness." Sacrificial giving is not irresponsible giving. It's not giving to the point of poverty, but it is costly. It is costly. There is a quota of loss, something that they need to give up here that comes with sacrificial giving. You know, as we started to plant this church and gather a core team and try and ask people to partner with us in a number of ways, prayerfully, one of those ways was financially and we had this little campaign called the 100 by 100 campaign. It was 100 people giving $100 a month towards our vision of seeing this church planted. On the very last Sunday, our farewell Sunday at the church that sent us a multicultural Bible ministry out at Rudy Hill, they had a farewell lunch for us and it was great to just be with God's people and, and rejoice in what he had been doing in our ministry there for the last 10 years. And I had this, this lady come up to me at that, at that um, celebration lunch and she said to me, I just want to say thank you for pouring into my children for the last 10 years. Thank you that you've loved them. Thank you that you've nurtured their faith. Thank you that you've discipled them. And she was in tears. Her family story was pretty rough. And she said, you know, I can't, I can't support you guys, the hundred by hundred. I was like, no, don't worry. Like, there's no expectation that you can do this. You know, her husband had walked out on her. She was working a part-time job. She was trying to uphold a mortgage. In fact, her eldest son was having to work so that he could help pay the mortgage. And then she said to me, but I feel like God wants me to support you, and so I'm going to give you $50 a month. And I mean, at that point, I was almost in tears. I just wanted to grab her and hug her, but I almost also wanted to say, no, you can't give that to us. If it were not for verses like this that tell me that God loves that kind of generosity. People have been sacrificially generous to this church. Now, I'm t- telling you, she gave us that over and above the giving that she gave to her home church. And I just think, how? How is that possible? What motivates that kind of sacrificial generosity in someone? Their giving is sacrificial. Their giving here is also generous. Have a look at verse 2 again with me. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, now this generosity is not so much about uh, you know amounts and percentages it 's about the attitude and the heart behind the gift. For one person, generous might be five dollars, but for another person, generous might be five thousand dollars. The point is not the quantity or the percentage, but the heart, the attitude that comes behind the giving. you remember the story that Jesus told of the widow that was going to church and she threw her two small measly copper coins into the offering and all these other people were giving way bigger quantities that she, that, that she was giving. And Jesus says this, she gave more. She gave more? She gave more than those people who put him because she gave out of the abundance of her heart. She gave out of her poverty. It's not so much about quantities It's about the attitude behind it. (coughs) We've also had people who have supported Anchor with ridiculous generosity. There is one family, external supporter, who actually makes up a fairly significant portion of that $68,000, who has given us in the last two years $40,000. $40,000 from one family have been generous to this church. Now, I mean, think of all the things. You could put a deposit on a house, ha- almost, put a deposit on a house. If, <laughs> if you were living out west, you could put a deposit on a house. You could buy a car, a new car with $40,000. I mean, they've been generous to us. Here are two stories of generosity. One lady who was given out of her need. Another family who has given out of their abundance. Both of them have been sacrificial and generous it's worth pausing and asking: Is our giving like that? Is your giving sacrificial and generous, like that? You know, inevitably, when we get to a conversation about generosity towards church, the questions asked: Well, how much should I give? Is it okay to tithe? Is is ten percent enough? Now, in the Old Testament, there was a requirement of God's people to give a tithe, and tithe just means a tenth, a tenth of all of their wealth, of their herds, of their crops. They were to bring a tenth of that to the temple and to give it to God and to his people. Now, every third year, they were required to give that tenth to the poor as a charity offering. All of this offering was to help fund the Levites, who didn't own any land like the rest of the tribes of Israel, but devoted themselves to the work of the temple. And so this tithe was to help them, to provide for them. Now, on top of that were offerings of sacrifice, a sacrifice of atonement, a peace offering, a thank offering. All of those things were on top of their tenth, and as well as just general acts of generosity on their part were on top of what was required, the 10% for them to give. And when you get to the New Testament, there's no mention of the tithe. There's no mention of it aside from Jesus criticizing the Jewish practice of tithing because what they did was they would tithe their spice rack, these minute, small, like weighing out, you know, tiny little grams of their dill and cumin and then neglecting the larger matters like justice and mercy and love. And so Jesus criticizes this practice, but nowhere in the New Testament are we called to tithe, to give a tenth of all we have. In fact, when we get to the New Testament, there are so many things about Old Testament worship that are radically transformed by Jesus and rather than being external things they become internal things. Money and giving goes from amounts to attitudes, from percentages to principles. It's about the heart. And so we're not required To give ten percent, so the question isn't what should I give. The question rather should be what can I give. This is not about figuring out what the base and minimum is, and right. This is thinking about how can I actually be generous and sacrificial towards the kingdom of God. I remember hearing a story of um, Rick Warren, the famous uh, America's pastor, Rick Warren. He tells a story of how he and his wife, after he released the book Purpose Driven Life, New York Times bestseller, sold over 32 million copies. Like if each book was sold at 15 bucks, just think about how much money they made. And rather than increasing their standard of living after all the book royalties, what they did was they they lived in the same house. I think to this day they still live in the same house. And they began to increase the percentage of their giving every year according to their means. Last I heard, and this was a number of years ago, they were reverse tithing. They were giving 90% of their annual income and living on 10. Right? They, I mean, he could have given 10%. What would he have done with the other 90 Millions of dollars? Right? They've chosen not to let a, princ- a percentage guide them, but a principle of generosity and sacrifice. That's the second principle of generosity is sacrificial and it is generous. The third is this, and I'm going to speed up. Is giving according to one's means. Have a look at verse 3. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Giving according to their means means that they gave according to their ability, that they gave what was within their power. But the generosity of the Macedonian church here surprised Paul blew him away because the general expectation would be as Paul went around the churches taking up this offering, when he got to the poor Macedonians, they would have said, oh, look, Paul, as much as we love the guys back in Jerusalem, we're doing it tough, we're struggling, we're poor, we can't really be committed to this thing, and so we'll just give a little bit. But Paul saw the exact opposite. He saw abundant generosity despite circumstances. They gave above what was even considered within their power to give. Now, they didn't give recklessly or irresponsibly, but they gave generously and sacrificially. You know, sometimes I think we're often a bit too safe with our generosity. You know, we're happy to take all sorts of risks in life. Maybe you took a risk on that girl or that boy. You took a risk on buying a car. I mean, I bought a car off eBay once. I didn't even look at it. Just bought it. Just bought it and picked it up. It was was a good car, Um, luckily. But, you know, I just took a punt. I was like, that car is cheap. I'm going to buy it. We take risks when we invest in shares. We take risks when we purchase it. Oh, you know, get a loan. All of these risks we're willing to take in life when it comes to our life and finances. And yet I wonder if we're willing to take risks when it comes to our generosity. That's what this church did. They took a risk throwing themselves upon God that he would look after them in their generosity and giving. Can I say, I know that there are a number of you who give like that here at Anchor in this church because I've spoken to you. You've told me what you give, you told me what you earn and I'm almost like, that's too much, stop giving that much. If it were not for verses like this that said, you know, you know what's normal, not that we just give a casual amount Token giving. What's actually normal for God's people is that the gospel overwhelms us to give abundantly and generously and sacrificially and sometimes even taking a risk. So, the third um, principle of giving is that we give according to our means. Sometimes we even take risks and give above our means. Fourthly, giving generosity is free. Go back to verse 3 with me. I want you to catch the flow of these verses and I need my. Can I grab my drink? I'm losing my voice. I've been a bit sick this week. So let's go chapter 8, verse 3 again and follow the flow here. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. There's no. There's no arm twisting here. There's no gun to the head. There's no coercion. They give freely, spontaneously. This doesn't come from a demand, but it comes from a desire to give. In fact, they beg Paul to be involved. Please, Paul, let us give to this. You know when you beg for something, you don't normally beg to give. You normally beg to receive. Like, please give me something. But here this church begs, Paul, to give. He doesn't plead with them, it's the other way around. Generosity is entirely spontaneous and free and voluntary. It's motivated by grace, not guilt. That's why Paul says later on in chapter 9, verse 7, this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants you to want to give. God wants you to give because you want to give, not because you have to give. Cheerfully, happily, joyfully giving. Giving is free. Generosity is free. It is not coerced or arm twisted. Principle number five. Giving is about giving yourself first to the Lord. Have a look at verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. There is a priority in their giving. They give themselves to God first. Like, God, all of this life is yours. All of my money is yours. Help me worship you with every single cent. Now tell me what to do with it. That's their priority in giving, giving themselves first to the Lord. And then they commit themselves to the collection that Paul is taking up. This is worship-led generosity. You see the motivation behind this? Giving is not about coercion or guilting. This is all about what God is doing in our lives and in our hearts and in our churches. Our first priority as we think through our personal finances is about giving yourself to God, giving yourself to Him. Reminding yourself, I've been bought at a price. I'm not my own. Everything that I have is actually been given to me from Him, including my gifts and talents that make me amazing at my job that pays good money. All of it's from God. And He calls us, yes, to enjoy it, and to be generous with it at the same time. So our priority is first giving ourselves to the Lord and then giving ourselves towards the generosity towards God's people and, his, and this world. Principle number six, generosity is something that we ought to excel at. Something we ought to excel at. Have a look at verse seven. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, And in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. The Corinthian church is renowned for its abundance of miraculous gifts. And in the first letter that he wrote, chapter um, 1 Corinthians, they're getting a bit of trouble with these gifts, right? But here he actually commends them for it. He says, you know what? You guys have got this abundance of gifts. You overflow in them. You excel in faith. And now that's not just saving faith. It's like, you guys are really good at being Christians, What he's saying there is you have this faith to believe for all these miraculous things that are happening. He talks about speech. And what he's meaning there is the gift of tongues, that you are gifted in speech, in in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. You're gifted in knowledge, in gifts like prophecy and a word of revelation and a word of knowledge. You guys have got this abundance of miraculous spiritual gifts. And now as you excel in them, I want you to excel in this act of grace, in this generosity as well. Overflow with it. You know, there's so many things I think of that we want to be excellent at, we want to excel at. Maybe it's music, maybe it's guitar. And so you practice, you get good, you devote hours to it, you sacrifice for it, you save up lots of money, you buy a really good guitar because it's got amazing tones Right? We make sac- we, we we want to excel at that, or maybe it's sport. You know, we want to excel at a sport, so we get the gear and we train and we you know devote hours to this thing so that we can master it and be great at it and excel at it. You know, I've got a bit of a nerdy Christian confession. The thing that I, if I'm honest, the thing that I've probably desired to excel at most is knowing the Bible. Right, as a young 18-year-old new Christian, and it probably wasn't a healthy desire, to be honest with you. I wanted to know the Bible like really well, almost competitively well, so I just know the Bible better than anyone else. It's funny, the things that we want to excel at in life. But you know, I've never had a single person in all my years of being a pastor come up to me and say, can you pray and ask God that he would help me excel at being generous? Never had it. I've only ever had one person come and confess greed. Excel at the grace of giving. You know, if we truly believed what Jesus said, that it is more blessed to give than receive, we would want to do that. We would want to excel. We would want to overflow in generosity. Imagine a church that did that. Imagine what Jesus could do with a church that excelled at being generous. So how do we do that? How do we excel at generosity? Yeah, we, I don't think we'll ever excel at being generous. We, we'll never abundantly overflow with generosity if it's reluctant and joyless. And so maybe the place to start is just a fight for the emotions, for the affections that come with it. You know, The, the solution to it is not, well, I'm, I can't give with joy, so I'm just going to give up giving. right? No, fight, wrestle for joy in it. Pray, ask that God would allow you to, See the grace at work in your life, his grace at work. Ask him that he would show you the gospel, the cost of what it looked like for Jesus to lay down his life that that would motivate generosity and joy in you. That might just be the first step to take. Or maybe you need to ask that God would show you what generous and sacrificial looks like in your life. Prayer, God, show us what that looks like. Convict us of areas that we need to be generous towards or or maybe it's that every time a need is presented to you rather than going well i've already given the church i'm not gonna i don't have to i don't have to do that stop and say god do you want me to give to this do you want me to be generous to this show me god how much you want to give in this circumstance or maybe it's asking that god would help you every year to do a pb when it comes to generosity you know pb is a personal best like all the swimmers, they want to do a PB. Every, every, I just want to do a PB. It doesn't matter if I win, I just want to do a PB. Maybe it's saying, God, every single year, help me grow in this. Help me increase in this. Help me do a personal best this year. There's a number of ways that you could also apply that. But what does it look like for you to excel in the grace of giving? I remember reading and I couldn't I was trying to find this last night. It was one of Francis Chan's books. I think it was Crazy Love, but I searched through and I couldn't find it. But he tells a story of how God had convicted he and his wife Lisa to be generous. And he he recalls God saying to him, I want you to give this year, I want you to give thirty thousand dollars. And if my memory serves me correctly, that was his entire income for the year. He's like, God are you crazy? I only earned thirty thousand dollars. How? And then the next year it was more The following year after that, God said to him, I want you to give a million dollars. And he's like, come on, this is getting ridiculous. And then he wrote the book Crazy Love and it turned into five million dollars, you know, book royalties and ridiculous kind of stuff. But he gave with that attitude that says, I want to be excellent at giving. I want to excel in this. I want to be generous. I want to be sacrificial. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of scary. Because that forces us to trust God in ways that we probably don't trust God right now with our finances. Friends, we've got, as a church, we've got room to grow in this area. 47% are not partnered in any way here at Anchor Church with the joy of giving. Now I recognize that there's probably various reasons for that. Some of you are new. Some of you have only just finished our Connect course. Some of you have only been here for a few weeks. We're not expecting that week one, you're like, yep, I mean, here's my money, because Trust is earned. You need to know that you can trust us. Part of having been up up here this morning is so that you can see that there's financial transparency about how we spend our money. And so maybe you're new, still figuring out whether this is going to be your church or not. Take your time. Ask the right questions. You know, one of the things that I was told once is that from the moment someone joins your church to the time that they give, there's a six-month lapse. Now, I don't know if that's fair enough or not, but it seems to me like that's a long time. Now, the other thing is that maybe some of you have financially pledged at the church you came from. You've committed yourself to, say, a building project or, a, or an annual financial pledge. And, and I want to say good on you for honoring that. There's a season for saying, you know, we committed to that under the Lord and we're going we're gonna to see that commitment out. Well done. But also there are some of you who are irregular, you know, and I've had these conversations. Like, oh, I give via the containers on Sunday, but I always forget to bring cash on Sunday morning. Whatever it looks like for you, fight for regularity. Maybe it's signing up for direct deposit. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to introduce another method of giving that doesn't require cash or a credit card on a Sunday morning. Simply just pressing a button on your phone, and you can be generous. We want to help you do that. Whatever, if you're a regular in your giving strive for regularity in that, whatever that looks like, monthly, weekly, annually, strive for regularity. Or maybe it's that you're just not giving at all. It's not like you're new, you've been around. It's not like you're not part of our family, you're here, but you're just not giving. And if that's you, can I encourage you to repent of that? Because this is family and we're all called Jesus calls us to worship him with every corner of our lives, including our finances. We're all in this together. Jesus says that our financial giving is often a window into the heart. Remember that verse where he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So often he connects those two things in scriptures, the heart and our attitude towards money. We need to be people who, like Jesus, would be willing to be sacrificial and generous. And that leads me to my seventh point. Generosity is gospel motivated. It's all about Jesus. Have a look at verse 7. Sorry, verse 9. For we know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, sorry, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. No one is richer than the one who occupies the throne of heaven. No one is richer who created this whole world and owns every square millimeter of it. And no one is poorer than a man stripped naked, flogged, beaten, and hung on a cross. That's what Jesus did. Though he was rich, he became poor. And at Jesus' poorest moment, he made you rich. Not materially rich, way richer than any form of material richness you can have. He made you spiritually rich. Remember that verse that Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom. Jesus has made you an Heir of the kingdom of God, a co-heir with Christ. You are filthy, filthy rich in Christ, spiritually in Christ, if you have faith in Jesus. He's enriched you with forgiveness. He's sanctified you by his spirit. He's adopted you into his family. He's made you alive in Christ. He's regenerated your dead, cold heart, made it a heart of flesh. He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. If you're in Christ, you are filthy rich. You lack nothing, no spiritual blessing. You know, the richest person in the world is not the person who has the most money, but it's the person who's had the biggest debt forgiven. And that's us. If Jesus, the king who became poor, has forgiven your sins. It's the gospel that motivates our generosity. Paul draws this church's attention to God's ridiculous, abundant generosity in Christ. I love what um, Tim Chaddick, pastor of Reality LA says. He says that our view of God affects everything. If we view God like the tax man, then we'll only give what we have to. But if we view God as the Generous giver who has given us abundantly more than we deserved, more than we even asked for, more than we desired, then that changes everything about us. You know, Christianity is not about earning the approval of God, forgiveness is not a commodity that you can purchase with money, it's about grace, it's a gift that God freely gives for those who have faith in Jesus. It's all about grace. And we worship a God who is not tight or stingy or frugal. We worship a God who is abundantly and recklessly and overwhelmingly generous to us in the gospel. That's the God we worship. God gives generously. Remember what John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave For God so loved the world that he was generous, he gave his one and only Son. The most precious thing he had, God gave it away. He did not withhold anything from us in his generosity. Jesus was joyful in his giving, was he not? Hebrews 12 says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Not reluctance. Not the Father forcing him to do it. It's not cosmic child abuse, as Richard Dawkins claims. This is willingly for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. Joyful giving of himself. Jesus gives sacrificially. Remember what it said back in 1 Peter, chapter 118? It tells us that we were ransomed from the empty way of life. What was the ransom payment? Was it um, imperishable things like gold and silver? No, it wasn't. It was the precious blood of Jesus shed for us, broken for us on the cross. God has given generously, joyfully, and sacrificially in the gospel. And he calls his people to be like him. Surprise, surprise. To be joyful to be generous, to be sacrificial. You want to know what motivates our giving, that's it. We worship a God who has been ridiculously good to us. And so our response is to want to be generous back. You know, when you find something that valuable, when you find something as valuable as sins forgiven, when you find something as valuable as inheriting the kingdom of God, you'll give everything you have. To get that thing. Remember that story that Jesus told of a man who was walking through a field, tripped over something heavy, stopped, looked at it, found a chest full of the most precious treasure he could find. And immediately he went away and with joy sold everything he had so he could go and purchase the block of land to make the treasure his. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of God is like. It is so valuable that you would give everything you have to obtain what God has on offer by his grace. You know, friends, Paul motivates this church to participate in this collection by giving them the example of the Macedonian churches. And look at their generosity. Let that inspire you. Let that motivate you. And so I want to close this morning by inspiring you and motivating you with stories of generosity within this community, within this family. I'm not going to name names. I'm just going to tell you anonymous stories of how people have been generous to inspire you and stir you towards generosity. I think of a donation that was made towards someone having counselling for $4,000. I think of the $1,000 that was given to a girl who was uh, held up and rolled and lost her money for her wedding shoes and her wedding jewellery in Melbourne and a gospel community gave her. She's not a believer, she's not part of this family. I think of the story of someone who was literally given a car because they needed a car. Think of the story of a gospel community that has given $1,000 to help an elderly lady who's a neighbor of one of the people in their group. Think of the story of the countless, probably tens of thousands of dollars that has been given towards Viv and Jake Leishman in their time of need during the passing of, of Rich earlier this year. Think of that generosity. I think of the people who... Um, in, in numerous instances have emptied their pockets to help the homeless around here. Think of the time when one of our sisters walked into the pub and said, I just met a homeless lady outside who's got money and cash just came out of people's wallets joyfully, generously. Think of a time where a guy wandered in here looking for some money for breakfast and someone gave him 15 bucks. Think of a time where people responded to a campaign called Sow and Reap and gave over $2,700 towards projects outside of our church, including one project with Compassion that $1,500 was given towards to raise the education level of children in poverty. And I think of the table over there, full of groceries for the last five weeks, helping asylum seekers who don't have enough food on their tables. This church has been generous In fact, you know what, sometimes I think we're actually better at being generous outside these four walls sometimes than we are on the inside. That may not be a bad thing. But this church has been generous and I want to let the stories of generosity inspire and stir you towards your own generosity. I thank God for those of you who are partnered here in the work of the gospel and may he increase that, may he multiply that and make us a church that is excellent at giving because of the wonderful good news of the grace of God in Jesus. We're going to respond to that in worship. We're going to respond by the Lord's Supper. To my right and left at two stations with bread and grape juice, we invite you to come and dip the bread into the grape juice and eat it. Remembering, Jesus, the one who was rich, gave it all up to become poor for you, that in his poverty he might make you rich. What's the response to that? overflowing, abundant, all of life, worship of him. So let's do that. I'm going to invite the band up. I'm going to pray and we're going to respond and worship to our God. Father, we thank you for your ridiculous generosity towards us. Reckless even, Lord, that you would give your one and only son. God, we thank you that you did not withhold yourself from us. We thank you that your generosity meant that you gave the best that you had. Father, that we would be recipients of your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness, inheritors along with Christ. We thank you, Lord. We worship you. We ask, Lord, that that good news would explode in our hearts, that your grace would be at work, that you would make us a people who are generous, who are sacrificial, who are joyful just like you have been in the gospel. Transform us, we pray. God's people said, Amen.